0: Welcome to Conversations About Life. Okay, thanks, Ellie, for being a guest on my podcast. So just to catch up with you a little bit um, and introduce you, you've been on the podcast before, and you're my daughter, and you're married, and you have two kids, and you um, What else would you like to say to yourself, uh, say about yourself as far as introduction goes?
1: I think I'm the guest you've had most on your (laughs) podcast, so I'm here to make sure nobody takes my title.
0: (laughs) You might be, (laughs) but I know I've had Billy, your brother, on quite a few times too. true.
1: Has he hosted his own episodes on your podcast?
0: He has once.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I have twice. So. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm in a race just with Billy.
0: <laughs> and you're currently um, studying to be in the field of psychology. Is that right?
1: Yeah, but it's going to take me a while. Like, I'm just, I, I'm about to finish up my associate's degree. So I'm very low level yet. I haven't really gotten to studying psychology yet, but that's the hope.
0: Okay. And then when you, um, at some point, when you're done with your education, or at some point along the way, you want to be in the field um and then was it working on material and supportive type of work it
1: could be, but probably primarily therapy work um and I don't know hmm. specifically what kind, but
0: to be so you want to be a therapist mm-hmm. okay well, that's interesting, and why would you like to be a therapist?
1: I think um for most of my life, in different relationships, I've played the role of emotional support. And I think that's something I've grown to do well. Probably didn't used to do it well. Had to learn how to draw mental and and outward boundaries. Um, but it's something that I very much enjoy. I feel most like myself when I am providing emotional support for people. Um, and it's very exciting to me to figure out how our brains work and how their brain is working and um, to watch people understand themselves a little bit better and then be able to use that is very exciting to me.
0: And what do you mean by emotional support?
1: I guess I would like to, and I think I, what the role I have and what I would like to do is provide a safe place. Where they can be very vulnerable, where they can explore things without judgment, um, where they might, um, yeah, discover new things about themselves without somebody else kind of getting in and poking at it. But maybe having someone else ask them the questions that they haven't thought of, um, yeah, and just provide like that safe space of unconditional love and um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
0: And. And then have you needed that yourself? And if so, has that been provided for you? And how has that been provided for you?
1: Um, it's hard for me to ask for it. It's hard for me to say, hey, can I just vent? Or, hey, can I, can we talk about this? But there have been times people have gone out of their way to ask me questions about what I'm dealing with and then follow-up questions and then show interest and in a non-judgmental way provides space where i can talk about myself and um and it's so i don't want to say therapeutic cause <laughs> but it's really really helpful yeah it just it seems to change everything for me when i'm able to talk about things with people and i've i've been to therapy too and um i didn't have any super significant issues that I was dealing with, um, so meaning I didn't have crippling depression or, uh, you know, anxiety that wouldn't let me leave the house. But I did find therapy very helpful and kind of confirmed to myself, like, yeah, that's that's kind of what I want to do.
0: It seems like as humans, we have a desire for connection mm-hmm. and connection can be very, you know, on the range from very superficial where you're just seeing pleasantries and and you're not really talking about anything important to being very intimate and open and really connecting about the things that yeah, and I guess maybe what you're referring to is kind of more of that open you know honest type of connection and and maybe it that type of connection just has a therapeutic value to it or effect. it definitely
1: because we does, yeah. so need it you know? yeah yeah. And it's it's one thing when someone genuinely cares about you. It's another thing when they demonstrate that they actually want to know the nitty-gritty details and that they can hold it with you and it's not going to affect them terribly. Um, one reason it can be hard to talk about your own personal issues with someone is that if they're in your life, um, that could affect them personally and now they're carrying it around and you don't want to feel like a burden to them.
0: You mean because they care for you so much and that it's kind of like they they carry that concern for you? Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And if, if you're having issues with um your your life around you in general and they're part of the life around you in general, that could also affect them too if you're Because
0: they might be defensive or I mean they they could be part of the problem. Is that kind of what you, you mean?
1: Um if you're in a community and you have a specific problem with that community that it isn't supporting you or something that isn't providing or is providing, um, and somebody else doesn't have that same problem, for you to go tell them all of your issues, now they they kind of are aware of it and carrying it when it wasn't really their problem to deal with. It wasn't something they were struggling with, but now they probably are. Like <laughs> you kind of shared your issue. With them, uh-huh. which is one of the reasons therapists have that that uh professional boundary where they're they 're not going to engage in your personal life they they don 't know the rest of your family or the rest of your friend group um, there's there 's kind of a reason for this professional boundary where you can unload things about your life on them and then it 's not going to affect everything else that 's going on for you and they 're not going to Carry that with them into their life and their community. I guess if that makes sense. Hmm. Uh-huh.
0: Um, b- besides that professional relationship, have there been any ways for you, like, uh, have, that you've learned to enjoy just intimate connection with friends, family, people you personally know, um, just to make that time together more meaningful? Like, um, do you have a way to just? you know kind of get to that level that you're you're looking for perhaps and the connections that you have
1: Mm -hmm. um it seems different depending on which relationship it is there are some relationships I really wanted to go really deep right away and it was hard to get there without first some of the just doing life and and sharing talk about the weather and kind of like having fun together, playing games together, and had to slowly progress into a deeper, more, like, trusting relationship. I think that's the way that a lot of people build relationship. Um, and then there are other relationships um, in which either it's it's deep enough already that we can just dive right into it as soon as we see each other again and we don't even have to catch up. We just, like, go into the nitty-gritty. Or there are some <laughs> special relationships um, – and I think this mainly happened as a kid when I had no, <laughs> no social boundaries or, or just like wasn't aware of what was socially appropriate all the time, where me and someone else would just dive right in and then instantly connect and become best friends. Hmm. But it's, it's harder to do as an adult. There's a lot of uh, awareness of the weirdos out there and... And, and awareness of just social grace too. <laughs> it's hard yeah. to hard to meet someone and kind of dive right in like that.
0: So you were able to do that as a kid? huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember, I would like meet people at the pool. Be like, hey, you want to be my friend? And then we'd start talking, and just like instantly, we're like, yes, we're best friends forever. And I don't remember them now, but it was like as soon as we connected, we could go all in and, and talk about like, yeah, well, you know, my sister has been bothering me and we just talk about like what had been on our heart, you know, that week or whatever. But yeah, I think now when I've gotten older, if you interact with someone like that, who automatically just wants to share their heart with you, and especially if it's very emotional to them, it can feel, it can feel really jarring. Like you weren't expecting it because it's not. The social norm, Um, but also it can feel like um, it can feel jarring in the way that you don't know what they're expecting of you. Like if you've established a relationship, then you have more of an expectation for what your relationship is. If someone meets you and then they're pouring their heart out to you, you're thinking, am I supposed to walk away with this? And you got to vent, or do I need to catch, just like, follow up with you? Or like, are you expecting me to talk to you again tomorrow, and then the next day, and then the next day for the rest of our lives? Like, it, it's kind of, it can make someone uncomfortable because they're not really sure what the expectations are. And if you don't know that person, you don't know what to expect. So that I think that's the reason for social norm and social grace is because we all kind of. More or less know what to expect. Um, and that, you know, predictability just helps us be comfortable. Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. Well, you do seem like to naturally have compassion for those who are struggling. And in there, I, I don't know if you'd call it like just emotionally or just socially, just in a, a, a very personal way, they're having struggles. And you seem to be good at you know giving them help Mm
1: -hmm. i think everything is a strength and a weakness like yes i'm very very high when it comes to empathy and compassion but i've also had to learn if they're not working to help themselves i cannot fix them i can't go in and if i put in more effort than they're putting into their lives it's not really helping them and it's not going to go anywhere Hmm. Um, so i've had to also learn to put boundaries around my compassion where I feel for them, but more than anything, I want them to build themselves up or to find help for themselves instead of me becoming a crutch to support them, right, which is kind of my instinct is to go out and and put supports around them and then and then help them succeed, but sometimes that's just that that hurts everybody <laughs> yeah. so i I think compassion yeah, like everything else it, it can be a strength and a weakness
0: well, we were going to talk about abortion because um, you, my impression is that you're really, you know, you've, you've thought about this and you're informed. And of the people that I talk with, like you're the most informed person that, um, who I regularly interact with and talk with, the most informed person on this topic that I know. Um, and abortion seems to be, I guess, my experience of it, it's a little bit of an easy thing. You don't have to think about it a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And um, it's easy to just, you know, not give it a whole lot of thought. But um, but that's not necessarily the right, you know, attitude to have toward mm-hmm. it. Um, it seems, well, anyway, as far as like diving into this issue... Um, Maybe, do you have any suggestions about just um, a way to kind of frame it, you know, to begin a conversation on the topic of abortion?
1: You mean as far as our position toward it? Or Um, what it is?
0: Yeah, kind of like what it is and then, um, you know, going on from there, you know, to how should we respond to it, you know, I guess.
1: Okay. Well, um, I am not an expert, and I wanted to find some statistics that I've looked at before, but I didn't have time to get that before. So if anyone listening to this podcast episodes wants to do some research um, and and find statistics to support or combat whatever, I say, please do so. Um, abortion has been happening for a very long time. It's not just in the 20th and 21st century. It's been going back for centuries, and there was different methods, whether you ingested something or or inserted something mm-hmm. into the womb to abort the baby. Um go kind of going way back
0: to like the beginning of the Christian era, I kind of I've heard of like exposure and I kind of have figured I don't know if that's the proper word, but I figured that mm-hmm. was kind of more popular. The woman would if give birth to an unwanted mm-hmm. baby and then it would just be left out mm-hmm. to die. Um was abortion taken being you know happening at that time as well um or um or not do you know
1: probably not a whole lot yeah. but i think it was okay. um from what what i've heard it was happening even back in in rome and yeah children at that time really weren't valued um mm-hmm. yeah putting your child your baby out for exposure to just die of the elements was like kind of normal <laughs> mm-hmm. especially if it was a baby girl um but if you didn't want it and that was probably safer for the mother to do rather than than go through some kind of abortion um but i believe ab- abortions of one kind or another have been happening for a while mm-hmm. okay yeah
0: okay i didn't mean to interrupt you go ahead It's okay
1: um So when Roe v. Wade was passed, um, we did not yet have ultrasound, um, we still were learning about DNA and about, um, just fetal development when people say, oh, it's just a clump of cells, like, yeah, that's, we used to think it was just a bunch of mush for weeks and weeks (laughs) up until, you know, um, whenever it would be viable, but we know so much more now about the baby in the womb. And I think our culture and our, our laws haven't reflected just how far we've come in understanding baby development in the womb. Um, so whether you're Christian or not, I think it's really, really worth reevaluating, reevaluating abortion and the issue, saying, is this something we can support? You know. Um, so at conception,
0: it's mm-hmm. not just a, a clump of cells— but then it's not a developed human being either. Mm-hmm. So, what is, you know, he yeah. or she at conception?
1: Even at conception, you're right. You can't see any form, it's too small for you to see with your eye at all. Um, but all the na- DNA, is there to say whether it's gonna have red hair or black hair, or whether it's gonna bald when it's older, whether it's going to have stretch marks if it gives birth, you know, if it's a, and it's it has so much information that is never going to be replicated. Um, so even at conception, I think it's a precious life that is unique uh, as a Christian. I believe it's created specifically with a purpose um, and i believe all life has inherent value given to it by god just just because it is human life it is precious and sacred
0: okay um and then abortion is uh taking that life um so um
1: So if you believe that the innocent taking of human life is wrong and you believe that the baby in the womb or a fetus in the womb is an innocent human life, then it has to be wrong. If A equals B and A equals C, then B equals C. Um, so it seems simple when you put it that way, um, but of course it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. I think when you get into the weeds of it and the morality of it, and and it has been going on for so long that I think people have normalized it, and in our, in America today at least, the rhetoric or the the message around it is that this is women's health care and that this is empowering for women and that we need abortions or women are going to turn into the 1950s oppressed housewife who can't get a job or a credit card without her husband's signature. She can't own property. She's just stuck at home with the kids. But those, <laughs> this is a false dichotomy. It's not either we have abortion and women can be boss babes, CEOs, or women are stuck at home with children and have no agency and no choice of their own. That's absolutely a false dichotomy. Um, we can, I believe, have a culture that supports women, supports their choice, supports their free agency, and gives <laughs> and provides better healthcare than killing their baby. I don't think that's good for the woman or for the baby. Um, so my concern first is yes, there's a human life being lost, but also this is not empowering for women to tell, because so much of the message around abortion and saying that we need it to empower women is if you don't have abortion, you can't be successful. That's saying, if you have children, you can't be successful. If you have children, it's going to hinder your life. It's going to hold your back. It's going to, you know, enslave you. That's a horrible message. <laughs> I think most women, not all, but most women want to have children. And if we didn't, then we wouldn't have survived as a species. But most women want to have children. And to tell women, you have to either pick your dreams and you like your hopes for your life and who you are as a person and your identity, or you have to be trapped at home with children. It's just it's a horrible message. It to me, that feels really disempowering. That like it feels crippling almost, like that you have to pick one or the other and if you choose to have children, you're probably gonna be resentful of them and you're gonna be stuck at home and you're gonna regret it. Like that's that to me is a horrible message. And so when celebrities are are saying, like, I I got this success because of my abortion, like to me I this they that's a horrible message to tell young girls is that you can't be a mother and a career woman, or you can't be a mother and feel fulfilled. That's.
0: Yeah. Now, isn't there some truth to the conflict there of um, being able to give your whole self to like your career? Um, whereas if you're a mom, you are kind of sacrificing, you know, you're balancing things. Though.
1: Yes um men also have that conflict so i'm not sure why it's just a woman's issue to like balance these things but i do believe if you really want to do both you can do both um i also believe that a lot of us are fulfilled in the child rearing Uh more so than we are in careers the paid pay gap the wage gap that happens between women men and women is because women usually choose less demanding jobs so that they can provide for their kids and be around their kids it's not because women aren't welcome in stem fields like companies would love to hire a woman you know it would look great for them but women would rather rather have kids um I guess there is some nuance around it. While I'm hearing myself talking, I'm saying yes, you can get both, but also women tend to choose mm-hmm. raising raising children at home. Yeah, and that's like a really.
0: Um, so it's like a you know a noble choice, a noble thing to give your life to. And I don't think it should be black and white. Like, women have to do this, and they can't be career-driven and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But there's so much fulfillment in that. It can, I think, you know, it can be just like a, a really a common thing that women might gravitate toward rather than the the career. Mm-hmm. Where it might feel like, um, for a lot of women, if they were just given to a, a career sacrificing raising kids... Um, It would feel like a a sacrifice to them. Not to say there might not be this woman here or there who is just really, she just feels like she's a gift to the world in this way or that way and um, would rather give more of herself, you know, toward that perhaps.
1: I think there can be better support, though, for women who want both. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've I've seen the stories that are just so cool where – Mom brings her baby into class, right? And the professor welcomes the baby, and the other students welcome the baby, and and she gets a degree while taking her baby with her. Or mom goes into an office job, and she takes her her young child with her to do to finish its homework. And like when when we value children, and when the support around the woman helps her in that, where she's not left to do the child raising on her own, but she's able to get support in raising the child, and also support to have the kid with her too. um, I think that can be really, really cool. I think that is really empowering. If we're trying to empower women and support women, I think we should lean more of the route of let's provide better support. Let's provide, let's change our culture to love children instead of saying you have to get rid of the child to be successful or fulfilled. Um, So a lot of women aren't going to choose both big, you know, Powerful career and thriving family life, but for the women who do want to, I don't think it should be an either or. And every person's going to have to find their own balance. But I think if we really want to help those women who are career driven, uh, the message shouldn't be you have to kill your kid to do that. The message should be let's help support that woman so that she can fulfill all of her her roles. You know,
0: should it be built into society with like um. You know, I don't know, um, government-funded daycare at the job and stuff like that, or like um, mandated leave um, after uh, giving birth and stuff like that. Or, I don't know, some things that maybe some other countries have that we don't, you know— Would that be helpful? I'm I'm not sure what other countries have. I know some are more Mm -hmm. um, socialist-based.
1: Right. As far as maternity leave, I think a lot of other countries do it better. Mm -hmm. Like government-provided child care, government-provided assistance. um, It sounds good, but I don't think it, it usually goes well if it's from way up top. Like, if it's the federal government providing those things, it's never going to be specialized to what the woman needs. So if it was very local government, it was the county government or the state government, maybe, I think that could be a good thing. Um, What I've seen be most helpful is volunteer church-run or school-run organizations, like, small, like, local communities, people who live in those communities, know those communities, um... So that's what I've seen, like as far as um, like crisis pregnancy centers or um, or women shelters. Like I, it, the government one runs don't don't seem to be the best.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a crisis um, pregnancy center. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem like the average the woman turns that way uh would would turn that way i mean
1: but the truth is there are way more crisis pregnancy centers than there are planned parenthood centers Mm -hmm. they are just not well known and google will will dock the searches it will put those crisis pregnancies lower on the searches and put the planned pregnant their planned parenthood up at the top, and it, it can be really hard for these crisis pregnancy centers to get the word out to say, "Hey, we provide support. We give you diapers and formula and baby clothes. We give you counseling. We give you like we have mom groups. We can help you if you're struggling." Um, but I think they're just not well known. The crisis pregnancy center that's here in Barnhart, hand in hand, they have a warehouse full of stuff, and and they want moms to give it to they want they want people coming um but it's kind of a struggle to get people um and part part of that might be also the rhetoric around crisis pregnancy centers from the pro-abortion side that they're all kooks that they all like are they don't have your best interest in mind or that they're so untrained that they you know they can't actually provide help um it's true that most all of them are run by volunteers. They might just have one or two paid staff, but that doesn't mean the volunteers aren't trained um, or that they, they can't provide professional support. Um, so.
0: so they're giving support like with material type of things, counseling, so, you know, groups and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, and I guess like a new mom... You know, I can I can see how that could be helpful for a lot of moms, for someone who's kind of wants to be, you know, to keep her career. Um, I can see how that could be a help. Um, she also needs to, I guess she needs child care. And I guess that's, you know, just something that's provided there. I guess there's different options there, um, either...
1: And that's where I think jobs could be much more supportive of flexible hours where you're not just working inside this one time frame, but there's flexibility, but also a welcoming of an environment which you could bring your kid to work with you for a few hours. Um, I think we can make make jobs themselves a lot more um, child-friendly or Uh family-friendly so that moms don't feel pulled between both of those.
0: Mm-hmm. And maybe gravitating toward a four day work week and some stuff like that, perhaps.
1: Yeah, maybe. I think our workforce is, is getting better, especially since COVID <laughs> mm-hmm. we've gotten so much flexibility and we've mm-hmm. learned that there's so many different ways to do work. Mm-hmm. And so many more people are working from home because they found out it works just as well or better <laughs> than having to commute to an office. Mm-hmm. Um, So um, I think I think there is is hope in that direction.
0: Now you mentioned there not being as many Planned Parenthood places, which are which is a per- abortion provider. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's none in Missouri now, right? Mm-hmm. So there are they going down nationwide, and is it because there are less d- abortions nowadays, so there's less need of them, or is there less abortion because there are less? Abortion providers. Um, so I guess maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Um, there's, I don't know what the statistics are, but there's less abortion mm-hmm. now than yeah, there there has been. I think been. it's
1: pretty consistently been going down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking a few days ago about how mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like a moral revival, but rather uh, there, there may be other reasons for there being Uh, less abortion, but there's less abortion providers too. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that because of um, just political types of changes or do you think there's just less demand? So it's kind of like a business decisions or or what?
1: It's probably both. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think there's there's less demand for in-person abortions, but there are um, much more and it's kind of becoming a big thing now recently to get male in abortions just getting a pill um so you'd get like uh two separate pills for two separate days to abort uh-huh. a very early pregnancy um which if you have an ectopic pregnancy and you haven't seen a physician and you haven't gotten an ultrasound so you don't know you have an ectopic pregnancy and you take that pill it can be fatal like to you to the mother so i i think that's just really irresponsible but but that is so in when people say Missouri is abortion free, not technically, like you can still go right across the border to Illinois and get an abortion or you can get an abortion mail to you. But there you're right. There are no more abortion facilities in Missouri. I think it probably is because demand went down. Um, there were some. Um, so yeah, some legal things that caused demand to go down or shifted where where abortions happen. But I think. Yeah, I think it's probably because demand went down. So we were talking about, like, uh, a few days ago, there's been a decrease in teen pregnancies uh, for a long time. And part of that is probably due to the rise in pornography, where teens that used to, you know, find sexual pleasure in person, now they're finding it on their phone. It's so much more accessible. Most of the time it's free. It's it's so easy to get um, and so and just in our digital age of of isolation kind of we we gravitate toward our phones um but also we do have uh better sex education and birth control and so young girls do understand their bodies better now than they used to and that's that's pretty a pretty universally well known fact like women today it's it's not shameful to have periods and and it's not shameful to talk about your periods and so I do, I do think there's also just a better understanding of, of how you get pregnant and how to prevent it, um, too. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and um, and then there are some things, and I'm not too familiar with this, but there's some things that can, maybe a drug type of thing could be taken when a woman knows she's going to have sex and she... Um, kind of like unprotected sex, I guess you would Mm -hmm. call it. And um, is that like an uh, uh, abortion type of thing, or is that just birth control, or do you know? Because I don't, I am kind of vague. Uh, Some
1: of them are abortificants, yeah. Some of them will just uh, abort a fetus. Some of them will prevent it, but if it happens, they'll abort it. Like, (laughs) So some of them are are kind of both. Some of them just delay ovulation. Um, So... uh, there's different ones, and i I don't feel I don't feel qualified to call out specific brands or, or tell you about specific birth controls because I'm not sure. Um, I, I'd have to do more research on that, and that's probably something you need to talk with uh, talk about with your healthcare provider about what exactly this birth control does. Um, I'm I'm thankful or blessed, I guess, to have just very regular periods. Um, that we can just use protection during a fertile window and then we're good. Like that's all the birth control we've ever done and we've never had an unplanned um, pregnancy, but that's not, not every woman's body is is consistent like that or predictable like that. Um, so there are other methods you can do that are safe for the baby that are non-chemical that are, or non-hormonal, I should say, um, that if you got pregnant, they wouldn't hurt the baby, but they would just, you know, help you prevent pregnancy. Every even if you I know a woman who used um a condom, the she had let's see, she had a condom, she had the um uh she was on birth control and she took the day after pill. So she had three methods of birth control and she still had a baby. I think part of the sex education is that everybody should know there is still always a chance. There's always a chance anytime you have sex, even if you haven't had a period in in you know months or years. like there's always still a chance that a baby is going to result from this pregnancy. Um, so in cases of rape, that's kind of another issue, but at least when we're talking about um, consensual sex <laughs> between uh, informed adults they should know that there's a chance that there's always going to be a baby and there should be some responsibility that comes with that. You can't just you you don't have to adopt a dog, but once you do, you're legally not allowed to neglect or or abuse it, right? Mm-hmm. You can le- like you you don't have to adopt a child, but once you do, you have to take care of it. Like the government's not going to force you to have a kid, but once you have a kid, you have to take care of it, or it's a crime.
0: <laughs> right. And I've brought that up before. I think I just passed along something that you had brought up. And I a response I got was, um, pregnancy, like sex is not always consensual, you know? Right. And um, people don't, women don't always choose. Mm-hmm. So that was like this particular person's objection.
1: Right. So. Actually I think in those cases there is some ambiguity because that person did not choose to be in that situation and they did not choose to have their body used for another human life to grow another human life. Um in those situations and it kind of goes back to um what are our primary rights, right? Like do we the right to life or um the right to bodily autonomy? That's something that People talk a lot about in the abortion issue is you can't force me to give my blood to somebody else you can't force me to give my bone marrow to somebody else you can't force me to give my kidney to somebody else. Why could you tell me that I need to use my body to support another human life in cases where the sex was consensual I think it's very clear you knew this was a risk going in and and this just comes with the territory it always has this is this is how how our bodies work it's just reality it's
0: kind of like you took on the responsibility yes with the consensual sex okay. yes
1: um for cases of rape um that's really hard and in those situations, I think we're dealing with something that's it's never going to be perfect or fixed. You're never going to undo the rape. You're never going to undo the trauma. You're not going to fix it so that it never happened. We can just do the best with what we have. In that case, I don't think the best we can do for that woman and that baby is to kill the baby who did not choose to be there. The baby was not the offending partner. or So, and I also think part of the... Oh, just have a be or just have an abortion because you had a rape. part of that messaging is like just have an abortion and then the rape goes away and that's absolutely not true that's just adding it's just adding violence on top of, of violence it's just adding it, it's just yeah it's just making it worse in, in my opinion in those situations, especially if the woman is really, really struggling in her pregnancy I think get the baby out as soon as possible and put it up for adoption. And if the woman wants to be involved in that adoption process, she can, she can pick out the parents. She can choose to be involved in that child's life as she'd like to, or she can choose never to see that baby again. I think that's the best we can do in the situation with a woman who's been raped and she doesn't want a baby. Um, However, most women who, who, get raped and conceive from it and choose to keep that baby later on, find so much meaning and fulfillment from, from that. There's actually a line of therapy called narrative therapy, where you take the events of the past and you tell yourself a different story about why now you can get good from that. Like now there's beautiful things that came from brokenness And it's a very healing kind of therapy. Like, I went through this horrible thing. Now I can help somebody else who's going through this horrible thing. And I can do good with what was broken in my past. And that same kind of line of thinking kind of applies to these stories where women will say later it was it was the most horrible thing that ever happened to me and it gave me the best thing that I ever had. It gave me a child and they find meaning in those situations and healing through raising the baby that they didn't choose to have. I think that's much more beautiful than just getting rid of the baby. Um in cases where, yeah, like I said, in cases where the woman does not want the baby and she did not choose to have the baby, I think having either a C-section or inducing an early delivery to get that baby out as soon as possible, as soon as it's viable, take care of it at the hospital, find it a new family. There are there are families waiting for babies, infant babies to adopt for a year or more in the US. The idea of an unwanted infant is just a myth. There are there are so many families that cannot have their own. That baby is wanted somewhere. Now, that woman's body is not going to be the same because she had to go through pregnancy. It was never going to be the same anyway. That woman's mind is not going to be the same, and it never was going to be. We're working with a broken situation. I think we can only do the best that we can, but an abortion is not going to undo it. Like we can just kind of salvage what we have if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. um. So, from a perspective of believing that life is sacred, I can see how, um, from conception, that this is special. It's a human being, um, very unique but undeveloped, you know. But I can see how someone who doesn't come from, perhaps, um, like a Christian or theistic... um, Viewpoint, but still has like moral sensibilities and doesn't believe in murder. Um, how they might um, not see um, at conception, you know, the the baby to be regarded as human life that has to be protected. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll get your response on that. Like one thing that. I've heard from Peter Kreft. He's a Roman Catholic uh, philosopher, but he said, um, you don't shoot in the dark, meaning like mm-hmm. if there's, if it's human life and it's questionable, then you don't ta- you don't risk it, you know, like at what point mm-hmm. does, should, um, that, um, baby be regarded as mm-hmm. human life, you know, and if, but, um, what are your thoughts about that? like are we taking like a theistic um, viewpoint and putting it on someone who's other otherwise has moral sensibilities but um, may not uh, share the same thoughts about the sa- mm-hmm. sa- uh, sanctity or sacredness mm-hmm. of human
1: life, I guess. So the point you made, that if you don't know what's life, then don't kill it. Uh-huh. That's a good point. Like, uh-huh. if, if you're going to blow up the building, you better make sure there's nobody in there, even if you're not sure, yeah. right? But also, if the if the government or if the law is laying down which lives are sacred and which lives aren't, like which, and I'm talking about humans, which humans are worth preserving, like their life is worth living, and which ones aren't. Immediately you get into really bad territory. You get into like Nazi Germany type territory. Like these lives aren't worth living, these lives are. What about people in a coma? What about people who have Alzheimer's? What about children who they aren't going to have those memories later, right? What about people in a coma for nine months? (laughs) And you know predictably that they're gonna be in a coma for nine months and then they're going to be, you know, developmentally perfect. Like, what about um yeah, what about memory loss? Like if, if memory makes a person, what about hmm. those with all time like anytime you give the government the the ability to say which lives are worth preserving, already you've gone down like really bad places. Um in I don't know if this is still the case anymore, but I know in England when they started universal healthcare the government was saying, if you're 60 years old, you can't get a stent to put into your heart because by that age, it's like your life, your life wasn't worth fighting to preserve anymore. I don't know if that's a valid quality of life issue or if that was just they had to save money somewhere. But that to me was really scary because you've given the government the ability to say if that life is worth fighting for, if that life's worth saving. So whether you're a Christian or not, pragmatically, it doesn't go well if you let the government decide who gets to live and who doesn't. What about people with disabilities, right? What? It... So I would feel much more comfortable, again, just pragmatically, if the government protects all human <laughs> life, because any time it tries to draw a boundary about which ones are worth case- saving or not... It's just I mean, which crimes are worth worth killing over, like right. you know all these you know people in the prisons, and we don't have money for them, so like their lives aren't worth saving. let's just get rid of all of those. those people know other people, those people belong to other people they so so um
0: and it is the government's job to protect human life, like mm-hmm. some people hear what you say about um the government shouldn't say what you know so they would say, well then it's the mom it's pro-choice it's the mom to decide if that baby is worth preserving or not but mm-hmm. it is a different life and it is, uh, it is the, the government you know that's one of the few things that we just agree that the government's um, job is to protect its you know citizens we or don't human give
1: life. that decision to decide to anybody <laughs> it like moms don't get to decide that for any any of their other children like oh that one's not worth saving we'll just like so at what point does the government protect that life presumably after they're born but why that like it's sorry these words are not coming out well if a mother can't decide that for a baby that's born and a baby that's 10 minutes pre-born, then um, I, I don't think a mother should have that have that right to choose which of their children are worth, this, worth saving or which ones aren't. And I don't think the government should be choosing either. I think all life should be preserved. Um, I don't know if my my... My point made uh, much sense um.
0: it it makes sense to me um, but you're um if you kind say, of doing like it, a extreme version of it saying ten minutes before or after rather than
1: if you're laying down a point at which the mother does get to choose then the government has already chosen which life is worth preserving and which life isn't because they're
0: they're not they're not protecting protecting it yeah
1: so if you say it's at 20 weeks that's Mm -hmm. halfway through and the government says before that like we're not protecting those lives mother gets to choose after that we you know we're gonna Legally protect that life. The government has already made a decision, um mm-hmm. which I think, yeah, is it, just, it, yeah, I think it's just wrong. And it's it gets really inconsistent too, because if you say like at twenty weeks we're going to protect it, but at nineteen weeks we're not going to protect it, what happened in between nineteen weeks and twenty weeks that now you're going to protect it? It's it's just an arbitrary line. The only steadfast consistent answer I think we have is either at birth or at conception because those are hard fast like consistent lines at birth makes no sense because that that baby is is fully developed inside inside the womb um and at at conception to me is the only place that that's hard fast and makes sense and after that, it just becomes like a really fuzzy area of like what what makes it worth protecting uh-huh. versus not worth protecting. Um, so in the same way, you wouldn't let a mother make decisions about her toddler, about whether it's worth keeping or not. Like the government protects that human life. And that's one of the main rules of the government is to protect human life. Um, in the same way that a mother couldn't choose, you know, about the toddler's life, I don't think she should be able to choose about the baby's life either. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if she does, the government has already kind of made it a decision about which life is worth, worth protecting.
0: So um, I've heard uh, someone um, kind of referred to like good law or bad law. And like, if um, like, let's say that position is like a real minority position Um, you know, this person made the case that, well, that would be bad law because, um, law should reflect the the people's standards and so forth. But, um, I guess if you're, that's kind of like dislodging law from morality, Mm -hmm. I mean, um we believe in an objective morality rather than just you know
1: I don't think that's the case at all. Okay. I think at least the government or the American government system is that we elect representatives to mm-hmm. make the laws for us. We don't vote on if we go to war or if we don't. Like that's not left up to a popular majority or decisions would be way different. Mm-hmm. Um same with I mean, with slavery, it wasn't left up to popular vote. Like, oh, we're going to... like No, at a certain point, the government laid down the law and said, nope, slaves are free for now, you know, and, and we're not going to let you leave the country. We're actually going to make sure <laughs> that you stay and that you do emancipate your, your slaves. Um, I don't think the, the mass opinion is a good standard. I don't think it's ever been a good standard.
0: <laughs> um, what about... Um So I've heard um, concerns about miscarriages, and that people Mm -hmm. could, um, you know, be uh, um, unduly harassed or whatever, or maybe even uh, convicted, you know, Mm -hmm. because of a miscarriage. And uh,
1: so, before we get into that, we should probably talk about the difference between pro-life and abolitionist.
0: Okay, yeah, Um, sure.
1: The pro-life movement wants to. Criminalize abortionist the doctors um and the abolitionist believe that the mother holds some responsibility as well Uh and and maybe not full-on charges of murder but at least charges of manslaughter um if she was well i guess even if she wasn't fully informed it would still be manslaughter (laughs) um in cases so so that's where the concern for miscarriages and mothers with miscarriages comes from is the abolitionist um, desire to prosecute mothers who have aborted their children. The standard that we've always had in the u s is innocent until proven guilty, and it would be so difficult <laughs> to prove someone had an abortion. If they didn't go see an abortionist, if they don't have, like, I think even if you did make a law in which abortion, like mothers are prosecuted for abortion, there would be abortions that are passed off as miscarriages. I don't think miscarriages could be passed off as abortion because you need some kind of, um, some kind of, yeah, evidence to convict her, some kind Mm -hmm. of. Uh, record and, and or something that she was seeking an abortion um in right. order to convict her so i i actually see it going the other way more than that i that would be horrible like if if women who had suffered a miscarriage and were already grieving were then questioned or harassed about whether they intended to do that like i think that would be horrible i that would be i could not stand for that at all um And I I don't think abolitionists want that either. But I think given the standard that we have and and the due process that we go through where you're innocent until proven guilty, I don't think that could Mm -hmm. happen. Um, Yeah. So concerning,
0: you know, there's somewhat of a division then on the anti-abortion side between pro-life and abolitionist. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts about how... um, the two sides, abolitionists and pro-life, can work together so as to not hurt their cause overall, like against Mm -hmm. um, those who are pro-choice or for abortion rights and so Mm -hmm. forth?
1: I think, first, they should listen to each other, (laughs) of course. um, The pro-life side wants to be very compassionate, and wants to err on the side of love and 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 looking good, um, yeah. Because they always want to be loving, and they want to prove that they don't just love the baby; they love the mother too. So, so I think that's kind of where the pro-life side at some point, if a mother hires a hitman to kill her child, she still needs to be held accountable. At least, or especially if she understood. I think there are a lot of abortions that happen where the mother is not informed about what's going on. And that's where I think grace needs to be given to her to give her either charge of manslaughter um, instead of murder, because, because if she didn't know, then it's not murder but a life still died. So there was human life lost. Um, So I think the pro-life side kind of falls short as far as, as far as holding up the sanctity of human life. If a life is lost, it needs to be accounted for or something like it can't just be forgotten. And the people responsible can't just be let go. I also think there are pro-life politicians who Corruptly use the pro life movement for their own political gain, and so they aren't actually seeking to get rid of abortion, they just like to use it. But, um, so there are they are out there, but I want to give the movement as a whole the benefit of the the doubt. I think most of them are trying to do good, they just don't want to deal with kind of the gritty nature of it. They're also a lot of people who have had abortions or participated in abortions in the pro-life movement. And so it does make sense that their heart is compassionate toward those who are seeking abortions because they used to be one of them. Um, that said, if abortion is outlawed, I think that at least that way we can know everyone is informed. After that, like the government calls this murder, the government says this is wrong um, and that this is a human life that is protected. And so women at that point wouldn't have an excuse of saying, well, I didn't know that it was a child. I thought it was just a clump of cells or something like that. Um, As far as the abolitionist side, um, I think they could also do well to listen to the pro-life side and maybe sometimes give them the benefit of the doubt instead of saying that they're all corrupt and they don't actually want to get rid of abortion. Sure, there are corrupt politicians, but that's not everyone on on the pro life side. Um, in fact, a lot of them have had abortions themselves, and now are trying to stop abortion. And so that's that's one of the main reasons they don't want to prosecute mothers. Um. Also, aboli- so. I think abolitionists could do better to understand that the country is going to take a slow time. It's going to take a long time to adjust and get all the way to um, abolishing abortion. And that steps is not a bad thing. So the heartbeat bill that says we're not going to allow abortion after six weeks when we can detect a heartbeat, that's not a bad thing reducing the amount of harm is always an ethical choice. Later you can't like, it doesn't mean that you believe it doesn't mean that you believe killing a six week old fetus or embryo is okay, but steps is okay. (laughs) Like I, I wish the abolition abolitionist movement could get on board with reducing harm. Um, when we can't completely get rid of harm, um, In the case of William Wilberforce, he preached for 50 years in England trying to get rid of slavery. It didn't work until they reduced slavery and the country wasn't dependent on it anymore. And I think the country could honestly look at itself and say, actually, this is kind of bad. Actually, we should get rid of this and we don't need it. Because until then, they relied on it so heavily, like just Economically, the country relied on slavery so much. I don't think they could be honest with themselves to say that it was abhorrent. Um, so just pragmatically, William Wilberforce and his comrades had to put le- like legislation to limit the slave trade. And as the country was weaned off of slavery, so to speak, they were finally able to come to a point where they said, we don't need this and we want to get rid of it. That is okay. In fact, that's a good, good, if this is the way that has to be, then I think that's okay. I don't think that's immoral. Um, so the abolitionists who are kind of all or nothing, like either the bill criminalizes mothers and outlaws abortions altogether, or we don't support it. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's just, yeah. Yeah pragmatically. I don't think that's maybe our best, best route. Like I, I wish, I wish they could work together. The both sides could work together to be slowly getting rid of abortion until we get to a point where as a country, we say we don't need this anymore because right now the rhetoric of course is that women need this for empowerment, that this is women's standard healthcare. Um, but when abortion rates are going down, and if they continue to go down, we will get to a point where we say, this is not standard health care. Women don't need this anymore. Let's get rid of it altogether. Let's protect all human life in the womb and out of the womb. So that's my hope for the direction our country is going. Um, and I think abolitionists can... Um, yeah, the abolitionists who who are kind of all or nothing I think um, sometimes have a real they have a really hard time getting on board with with that like this progression that we might have to go through as a country
0: and then kind of weaning us off abortion you know you mentioned abortion rate, rates going down so I, I guess the way we can uh, help with that is just making um, having children be, having that easier and not being such a a burden on women, I suppose.
1: Yeah. I do think sex education when done well can be a good thing. Women mm-hmm. who know what their bodies are doing are going to be better informed, less anxious, more empowered women. Um, so, Yes, but uh, a, a culture of support around women and a culture that values children—like that's something we've really lost. I feel like a culture that values family units and children and believes it's a wonderful, great thing to to have kids. Like um, sometimes kids are, are really seen as like pesky, annoying. There's this big. was a big group of people on the internet do not like children. I'm talking about like 2030s, like um, kind of millennial era who are very outspoken about how they don't like kids. And it's not that they don't want to have their own kids or that, you know, kids are sometimes draining. It's like they don't want to be around kids at all they're going to go to no children resorts. They're going to go like, they're going to travel, you know, on a, a better spot in the plane. So they don't have to sit next to any kids. And they like, they don't want to go over to their sister's house. Cause she has kids. And like that attitude is really messed up. It it treats children like they're other than human. Part of me understands it because I don't think children are very well raised. And so there can be really, I guess, annoying aggravated children that don't know how to behave but the idea that uh, of children is something to just be like put away like you don't even want to see them or acknowledge that they exist like that to me is disgusting it and the more I think about it the more I think like that's just really messed up that can you imagine talking about that like about old old people or seniors being like those elderly people. Like, I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to go over to my mom's house because she's taking care of grandma. Like, I that's ugly. It's horrible. So I think a society that supports women, values children, loves children, and, so like, and, and family units, um, and and also teaches us how, how our bodies work. Like, I think all of those things are going to be really important to you know, in in this whole fight to get rid of abortion, I do think legalization is needed, um, but I don't think that's the only thing that's lead, needed. If you outlawed abortion tomorrow, abortions would still happen because there's still cultural problems that are going on that support this need, the so-called need for abortion. Um, so there are other things that need to be worked on. Um, yeah.
0: So it sounds like. Really, kind of anything that helps and supports this whole area of motherhood, parenthood, kids, where it is kind of seen in a more attractive light. It's a more blessed, Mm -hmm. you know, activity and way to be. Any of that, it seems like, would be helpful, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: So, um, just to to wrap up, any thoughts about how... um, just the average person might, you know, be involved. It seems like it's kind of broad. Um, like there's a lot of different ways a person could be involved, depending on their own gifts and right. opportunities. Right. I mean, just supporting families is a yeah. way to be. So any thoughts about um It's going to
1: depend on your stage in life and what you can give. Mm-hmm. But some ideas might be supporting your local crisis pregnancy centers or finding out which ones are there. And actually, if you have time, I have a reminder sent on my phone to Google specific, like um, say ab- abortion Barnhart or pregnancy Barnhart. That's where we live. And then click on that crisis pregnancy center and that's going to help it get to the top of the page, right? Um, and doing that in St. Louis. like, um, So those are smaller things you can do to help. You can also go to an abortion clinic and stand outside. It is proven that when people are outside of an abortion clinic, whether they're saying anything or not, the abortion rates are down for that day while people are there. Even if they're just sitting and praying or if they're preaching, um, that that can be really hard to do. Um, talking to people who have been there and done that, it feels like a dark place when you know what's happening right inside. It can be hard to do, and you've got about 10 seconds to say something. Um, the abortion clinic in Illinois hope clinic, you're not allowed to use amplification. So you just, you have to use your voice. <laughs> and I hate that. I would so much rather than be able to use a microphone and talk quietly <laughs> than to have to yell to be heard. But yeah, you got about 10, 10 seconds, but a lot of that ministry is not just to the mothers and their partners who are there, but to the escorts who are, um, leading them in and out of the building. Um, so there's, there's that, there's the crisis pregnancy centers. Um, they, they could always use support and help being found. Um, and then going to, uh, an abortion clinic, being involved in local governments, um, to, to talk about, you know, the, being involved in government at all and just voting is going to be good. Um, um, but if you know people who are pregnant or have young children to be available to say, Hey, if you have an emergency, I can watch your kid for an afternoon. Or, um, do you need some extra groceries this week? You know, we have too many cucumber cucumbers. Like, um, yeah, be just, I think in general, being more supportive of, of, of that. Also, if you're in the church and you know, single mothers really try not to be judgmental. That mother could have aborted her child legally in our country, and she chose to keep it. So whether what she's done is moral or not, I think trying to set aside your judgment and support her and love her, um, we really need to do more of that. Like we all have issues. We've all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so for her to have kept her child is a courageous thing that we should applaud her for and support her in. Um, A lot of single moms, I think, are afraid to come to churches because they are afraid they will be judged. Or, yeah, um, or even just families that are struggling that aren't married, you know. Um, The choice to have children is a courageous one. I think it's one that we should applaud and support, even if the circumstances around it are not ideal. All
0: right, thanks, Sully.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Dad. (laughs)